It's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, March 11th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and it is a selection Sunday, but honestly, only for about four more minutes. It's 11.56 p.m. Eastern as Norlander and I uh, sit down to record this podcast. I've been on television with CBS Sports Network for the past uh, three hours and five of the past seven hours. Norlander, of course, has been handling a lot of the uh, writing and reporting for uh, cbssports.com. So we're getting to this late. Uh, we figured this would probably be the case, but uh, the bracket uh, obviously is out. The one seeds were no surprise. By the time we went to bed on Saturday, it was, I think, obviously clear that Virginia, Villanova, uh, Kansas, and Xavier were going to be the four number one seeds in some order, and Virginia was going to be the number one overall. In fact, like there wasn't even a, another option. Usually, and Norland and I talked about this off uh, of the podcast. Usually, even on Sunday, there's like a fifth team, maybe a sixth team that could, a seventh team that, if the committee values X, Y, and Z, could. There was no other options uh, in this particular year other than Virginia, Villanova, Kansas, and Xavier. So no surprise at the top, but there were surprises at the bubble. There were some seeding surprises. Norlander, uh, I'll just uh, start with this. When you saw the bracket, uh, your major takeaway was? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I had a thousand things going through my head, honestly, because um, there are a lot of things here. I, I, I guess the biggest thing initially was Syracuse was in, USC was out. Um, and we won't spend too much time going over this, but – that was shocking to me, and I don't think a lot of people had Syracuse in. Like, this is not quite on the level of Tulsa a few years ago, but I think it's it's, it's somewhat close because Syracuse, for a lot of people that are, are paid to do this and the amateurs that love doing it, um, if, if you were following a number of different bracket projections, Syracuse wasn't close to first four out status. I mean, there were other teams that were there uh, – that were rightfully there kind of, you know, just on the on the periphery, um, Baylor being one of them. Notre Dame for some, although I was a little surprised to hear that Notre Dame would have been in the tournament if Rhode Island defeated Davidson. That, I think, if that had happened, we would be talking a little bit about what the committee decided to do there and kind of giving credit for Notre Dame for stuff it had not yet accomplished because it was a good team. I don't think it was an NCAA tournament quality team definitively with Bonzi Colson on the floor, but it doesn't matter. Davidson gets the win. They are the last bid thief, and really we only had two. We had San Diego State and uh, and Davidson this year that, that took bids off the, uh, off the table there. Um, they get in. Syracuse is so such an uninspiring pick. Um, just don't think the team is that good. Like, Sometimes you'll have a team get in, and it won't have the resume, but you know that it's good enough to win a few games in the tournament if it clicks, or it's the or it's the reverse. Um, the team maybe you might not be that inspired, but the numbers ultimately like you can't deny what they had done, and that would be something that I'd point to maybe with Oklahoma State, who didn't get in and didn't sniff it. That's bonkers to me. If you line up Syracuse's numbers next to Oklahoma State's, Oklahoma State's next to Alabama's, Oklahoma State's next to Oklahoma's, um, obviously, given the somewhat random nature of how these numbers are all just going to fall from the tree at the end of the season, you're going to have a resume or two that just is not going to line up perfectly. And frankly, it's good for the sport that it drives this kind of discussion, and it's always going to be an imperfect thing. But having said that, I was surprised. I didn't think Oklahoma State was going to get in the field GP, I was surprised that it wasn't necessarily close, and there were other teams that were that were closer overall. That was one thing that stood out. I know you're going to want to react to that. Just the other thing, real quick here. Um, 
just on the one seeds in general, I think they're pretty balanced in terms of what they're facing. Um, I know that Virginia's got a number of league champions uh, from power leagues in its bracket overall, and people are going to think Xavier's the weakest. I think when you look across the board, if we want to complain about a few things with teams in or out, that's fine. But seeding-wise, we almost always on this podcast over the years, and by the way, shout-out to all the new listeners who are just listening to this. Please stick with us for the next three or four weeks because I promise this podcast will be worth it. Subscribe and rate. This is obviously uh, arguably our most listened-to podcast of the entire year. We love you for stopping by. Continue. Three podcasts a week. You're going to love it. We always talk about our issues with the seeding. Maybe you'll disagree with me, and if you do, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Parrish. But for the most part, I don't really have too many issues here with where the teams landed. And that is surprising because David Warlock, who's with the NCAA, is in the selection committee room. He's the head of media and statistics there. He said, listen, with, we wanted to properly weight the brackets. So we had to push Carolina out west to keep, to keep the ones and twos even. And that actually had trickle-down effects when you consider the ACC and with the teams that it had in. And it actually bumped down. Um, Butler got off a line. NC State bumped up a line. So even when they had to adjust... I don't really have too many complaints. I guess the only one seeding-wise is I look at Arizona, and I know it's not a four, but resume-wise, I don't really have an issue with it. West Virginia as a five doesn't seem like a five to me, but again, I don't have a massive problem with that. I've seen people freak out over Penn as a 16. Um, have a blast with that. I, I guess I can see your point there overall, but if if the if the biggest misseeding issue is Penn as a 16, then then they've done a really good job. What are your thoughts? I think the Brack's good. You know, while we were um, on television tonight, Bernard Muir, who is the Stanford AD, vice chairman of the selection committee, will be the chairman of the selection committee uh, next season. He popped over to the studio and sat down with us for uh, about 10 minutes. Dan Gavitt was there as well. And I told both of them, I, I thought they did a good job. I mean, I obviously don't agree with everything that they did. I would not have had Syracuse in. Um, but there's no team that they left out that I feel like got robbed. You know, I, I could have easily made the case that if you're that close with Notre Dame, you know, then like, I, I guess I didn't understand why Notre Dame could be that close. I thought Notre Dame's got to be way out or in one of the two. Like e either you, you're taking into consideration Bonzi Colson is 15 games. And so they're different with Bonzi Colson. So they're easily in the field or at least like in the first four, like the, whatever, or Hey, the resume is the resume. You did lose to Ball State, Indiana with Bonzi Colson. So don't tell us how different you were um, without him because like you know, two of your worst losses came with them and they're way out. The idea that they were in the field as the last team in on Sunday afternoon and Davidson knocking out Rhode Island, beating Rhode Island, I should say, in the 18 championship game is what removed Notre Dame from the bracket. That, that was surprising to me. But whatever. I, I guess you leave it up to me. I'd have put Notre Dame in. I'd have left Syracuse out. But – that's really my own complaint, my only complaint. The seeding, I think, is is basically good. I mean, the ones look exactly the way they're supposed to look. The twos um, are, are Cincinnati, uh, Purdue, uh, Duke, North Carolina. Can I just look interrupt you real quick here? And you continue mm. with your thought? Because there is some, some sort of thought out there that Michigan State shouldn't be on the three line. The only thing I would say to that is really good record. And I actually would have no issue with Michigan State on the two. I would have probably put them on the two. Having said that, if you're going to do that, who would you take off? My response would be Carolina because, again, for me, loss total matters. Ten is a lot. But even so, with North Carolina's best wins, they deserve to be on the two line. I think you could take um, Cincinnati off if you wanted to. But, my God, Cincinnati has beaten every 
mediocre to average team that they've played, and I mean mediocre to bad team that they've played, and and beaten some good ones too, like Cincinnati, you know, regular season, um, a uh, uh, American Athletic Conference champions, uh, American Athletic Conference tournament champions. I got no issue with them. So it, it, I guess I'd say this. Um, a little bit like with Notre Dame-Syracuse. I'd have had Notre Dame in, but it's not crazy to leave Notre Dame out in favor of Syracuse. Um, it, you know, I, I, I probably would have had Oklahoma State ahead of, of Syracuse, but but whatever. And same thing with the twos. I would have probably had Michigan State a two, but if you want to have Cincinnati, Purdue, Duke, North Carolina instead, fine with me. I, I guess what I would say is there's nothing egregious there. There's nothing like, oh my God, what are they doing? And usually I have that kind of reaction to something. And I guess I didn't have it with this bracket. I think they did a pretty good job with the bracket. I'm kind of just there a little bit with Syracuse only because, and I know we're mostly on the same page with St. Mary's, um, but even still, like I would still put St. Mary's in the field over Syracuse because I think it would have, when you really looked at everything, totaled it up, I guess I would. I think one St. Mary's is without question a better team than Syracuse. Now, it's non-conference scheduling practices, um, are are problematic. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I, I'm not going to like lose my mind over the Syracuse fans have come to uh, just embrace this existence. By the way, more times than not, it feels like over the past 10 to 12 years, Syracuse is right around that cut line. And there's been years where it thought it deserved absolutely to be in, didn't get in, and then the uh, the reverse has happened as well. Obviously, uh, famously, a couple of years ago, um, they were more comfortably in than anyone thought they would be as a 10, and then they make a roll to the final four. Uh, but not a, not a ton of of critiques overall. I do feel like we have to mention this bracket now that we have. Um, that is fairly low on criticism, which is frankly refreshing to see. Could be the last of its kind because the NCAA is going to try next year to have some sort of composite system in place. So the influence of the RPI is no longer there. So what you could have next year is a team that's similar to Oklahoma State's profile if the college basketball schedule universe is, this, is similar around it. Because Oklahoma State's RPI, I believe that number was so egregious, like 89 or 90, that the committee, whether or not it ever said it in the room, and it may not have ever done that, I think the RPI numbers that influenced Oklahoma State's profile were so tough to overcome. That's why it didn't stand a chance, and that's why it wasn't in the first four out. But next year, it might stand a better chance when— You mean Oklahoma State, by the way. Okay, and Mike, do I keep saying Oklahoma? My brain is mushy cereal right now, so apologies for that. Oklahoma's in the field. We're obviously going to get to Trey Young and the Sooners and where they are. But, yeah, just in general, they hope to have a new system in place. And with that, the quadrant system will still be in place. But it's still to be determined if they're going to have the same cutoffs because right now the 1-75 to road performance, that's based traditionally on the fact that no team uh, worse than 74 has ever gotten in that large bid into the tournament. But if you're going to take new data, you need to take into account um, – past performance in in those data points so rpi it doesn't matter so keep in mind all this stuff the ncaa cares a ton about this and i know a lot of people are still very unsatisfied with where we are in that process i i, I hear that but at the same time if you really like if we went back to 2004 2005 and looked at the environment around the selection committee how it evaluated teams how it seeded teams compared to what it is now it actually has made some really good progress on a year-by-year basis and that we could look back eventually on this particular field as as the last of an era basically because i do expect it to be a, a different kind of protocol next year so i just felt it was worth addressing there but overall yeah man 
I'm I freaking love this sport. This bracket is is really intriguing. If you have any thoughts on that, feel free to to, to send them back over. If you want to take it wherever you want to go, because obviously there's a thousand things that we can hit on the immediacy of this uh, field of 68 getting released. Well, you mentioned St. Mary's. So let's talk about them for a second because they got left out. And they got left out despite a 28-5 and five record. They got left out despite being ranked 28th at Ken Palm. And I had some people say, come on, Parrish, you can't be pro Ken Palm all the time and then be pro St. Mary's getting left out. You're contradicting yourself. No, I'm not. Here's why. Ken Palm, what it does is basically rank basketball teams on their quality. That's what that rating means. It means these are, these are the teams uh, Ken Palm thinks are the best basketball teams in the country. Virginia's one, Villanova two, Duke three, so on and so forth. What the selection committee's job is not to just select the best teams. That is not its job. It, it is basically selecting the best resumes, the best bodies of work. And St. Mary's has a terrible body of work. And we talked about it on this podcast. And I predicted this as a possibility. I said, nobody's going to have St. Mary's out of the field. But if they lose short of the West Coast Conference championship game, and with that resume, they should be left out of the field. And sure enough, we get to Selection Sunday, and I know by the time the bubble shrank, um, some people actually did have them out of the field, but most people still had St. Mary's in. And I was, I guess I was fine with St. Mary's getting in. Like, I wouldn't have protested it because they are a good basketball team. That's clear. But I had, I feel, I shed no tear for them getting left out based on the way that they approach non-league scheduling annually, but especially this year, and here's why. This is a 29 team, a 29 win team last year, and they returned basically all of the important pieces, if not all of the important pieces. And so my point being, Randy Bennett knew he had a good team. He also knew the West Coast Conference would be garbage because it is always garbage. It's Gonzaga, BYU is pretty good, St. Mary's, garbage. That's the league. That's the league every year. And so you know that every year and yet still scheduled nobody outside of his league. Nothing of substance got done outside of the league. Meantime, as you had documented on this podcast, Rhode Island had picked up the phone, Dan Hurley, and, and tried to, to schedule a home-and-home -home and was willing to even start it in California. Randy Bennett said no. So I tweeted that tonight after St. Mary's got left out because I tweeted first, I'm not going to be the guy that sheds a tear for St. Mary's. And people said, hey, listen, I, because they didn't schedule anybody in the non-league, they get what they get. So people start tweeting at me. Yeah, but what are they supposed to do? Nobody will play them. That's not true. People will play them. Rhode Island tried to play them. They passed. For whatever reason, they passed. So then I'm, I'm, like, I'm you know, reading the mentions to that tweet, the replies to that tweet. I get a, a message from somebody, and they say, hey, you know Creighton reached out to them too. Creighton tried to play them. Because Creighton wanted a game, needed a game, said, hey, let's go play St. Mary's. Randy Bennett wouldn't do it. Now think about this for a second. Who was the chair of the selection committee? Athletic director at Creighton, Bruce Rasmussen. Okay, so he knows that. So when they're in that room talking, and by the way, I talked to Bruce about this the other day, and I talked to Bernard Mir, the vice chair, about it to, to, today. And they both made the same point, N not necessarily talking – specifically about St. Mary's, but they were talking about St. Mary's. They said, you have to try. You have to try. We're not, if you just beat a bunch of bad teams and, and then win at Gonzaga, that's not good enough. You have to try. You know, in other words, if they'd have played Rhode Island and won, they'd be in the tournament right now. If they'd have played Rhode Island and lost, it wouldn't have mattered. 
If they'd have played Creighton and won, they'd be in the tournament right now. If they'd have played Creighton and lost, would not have mattered. And so then I get people say, okay, fine. Rhode Island wanted to play them. They didn't do it. Creighton wanted to play them. They wouldn't do it. But, like, scheduling is more difficult than, than you realize, which I acknowledge it's more difficult than we make it out to be, but it's not impossible. And these stories, I think, detail that. Um, it, you know, they, they, I had people trying to explain to me that scheduling's done years in advance, like this is college it's football. It's not college football. That's not true. Well, you, you and I both know this. Games are scheduled late. Honestly, I, I, this happens to me. I'm sure it happens to you. Coaches text and saying, hey, do you know any high major that needs a game? Do you know any mid-major that needs a game? I still need three more home games. I still need three games on my schedule. Do you know anybody trying to buy? I get asked this all the time. I'm mm-hmm. sure you do too. The, deep into the summer. Sometimes it's an annual conversation do- at Peach Jam with coaches that basically know six weeks from now they're still going to be hunting for games. Right. So, like, scheduling gets done in the summer and even into the fall. So, then, coincidentally, we have Eric Musselman come on our show. Uh, uh, on our bracket breakdown show, and we're talking to Muss, and obviously they needed an at-large bid. You know, frankly, they ain't much different than St. Mary's. They play in the Mountain West, you know, which is, you know, it, at least it has the capability of being a one-bid league in its current form. Um, probably would have been if if Nevada would have won the automatic bid, and 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 they so Muss knew he had a good team, and he knew he was maybe in a one-bid league. So, like, this is literally what Eric Musselman said live on television tonight with us, because I asked him about it. He said, when we realized that how important the quadrant system was going to be, I told my staff, we went out and we tried to schedule games. We went out and scheduled Davidson. We went out and scheduled Texas Tech. We went out and scheduled TCU and went out and scheduled. There's one more on there somewhere, Rhode Island. So, like, when Rhode Island couldn't play, St. Mary's, they end up playing Nevada. But Musk said, we went out and, 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 and then also told my assistants, do not schedule, if you can, if you can avoid it, sub-200 RPI teams. So you look at their non-league schedule. I'm just looking at Ken Palm right now. But it's Idaho, 126. It's um, Pacific, 166. It's, uh, you know, they went on the road and played UC Irvine. They went to Hawaii and played. They played at Pacific. They played at Santa Clara. So they tried to play quality or at least average opponents, and they also tried to play road games. And then he went out and scheduled Texas Tech, TCU, Davidson, Rhode Island. And here's the kicker. He said, I scheduled some of those in August. In August. So don't tell me that St. Mary's couldn't get games. I just gave you at least two examples of, of, of where they turned down games. And that's with Rhode Island and Creighton. And oh, by the way, you know what Musk also said? We played at St. Mary's last year. We asked them to come to our place this year. They would do it. But we, you know, if St. Mary's wanted to play us, they could have played us. We tried to get the game. So there it is. Three NCAA tournament teams, Rhode Island, Nevada, and Creighton, that tried to play St. Mary's. And St. Mary's, for whatever reason, passed every time. If, if you do not try and you get caught in your league tournament the way they get caught in their league tournament, you get what you get. And I hope that this is a message for teams like them all over the country. If you are in a bad league and you're not going to be challenged with your league schedule, but you know you're going to be good and you want to have a possible at-large resume, go schedule people. If you lose the games, it will not hurt you. But if you don't even play them, you are begging for the committee to do to you what they did to St. Mary's. That is clearly, and I'm just telling you this as somebody who talked to Bruce Rasmussen and Bernard Muir over, over the past week, this is clearly the message they were trying to send. 
They sent it directly to St. Mary's, and I'm glad that they did. Yeah, this is the third time this has happened to Randy Bennett and St. Mary's. It happened in 2009 when they were uh, a six-loss team ahead of the NCAA tournament. Um, really, they were solid in 2011, an eight-loss team, but and then particularly two years ago, they were a five-loss team, didn't get in. And there is a distinct difference that we need to point out here. Um, with St. Mary's' situation, it's not going to be able to get all the games it wants if it tries to schedule. I understand that. But it can get games, as Parrish has laid out. And I've heard from multiple people about the Rhode Island thing. I heard about it like as it was happening, okay, right. late last summer, early fall. And um, there's a difference between that and a diff- and being Illinois State last year when everyone knows you're going to have a bunch of dudes back, you're going to be a borderline tournament quality kind of team, and you simply can't get any freaking major team to play you. The committee needs to take these situations. This is why it's important you have a committee that follows the sport basically year-round from start to finish. So they are aware when the non-conference is happening, what games you could and could not get to fairly evaluate you on that, and then obviously the entire portion of your schedule. St. Mary's had its options, chose not to do it. This is why the selection committee is necessary. It must act as an arbitrator for college basketball. Some people reject that. I think Jay Billis rejects that. I do not, because if you don't have this, then what you'll have is coaches basically trying to load up on 200s and 300s in November and December, and again, that is garbage for college basketball. It benefits no one, and it doesn't give you a good indicator of how good you are outside of your league, and I think the problem can really exacerbate itself. Now, is there a limit that it should be taken to with the selection committee? Arguably, yes, but the lesson here I will never have an issue with, and in fact, I think it's a good thing we're talking about it in in relation to St. Mary's, because sometimes I feel like we go after big-time programs with this. St. Mary's is not that. It is a mid-major program, but it's a really good team, and its coach and staff and administration should have done better by those players and given them a tougher schedule because all you had to do was swap out two games, two trash games for two halfway decent ones. You go one and one in that, I'm telling you, you're in this NCAA tournament. That would have happened. Unfortunately, that's not where they're at. We don't have to spend 20 minutes on St. Mary's, but we'll see if it affects Bennett, going forward next season, have to mention, obviously, they're going to lose their best player, Jock Landale. Um, but there we are, and so we go. And good on the committee for, for continually making a stand. This is not new. They, they do this almost every single year with, with programs to kind of remind you, you need to schedule up. This, is, this can impact your selection overall. We're on the same page. No issue with the Gales not getting in. By the way, somebody has also tweeted me a news story um, from the preseason where Dan Marley explained that they had a contract with St. Mary's to come to Phoenix. And St. Mary's, you know, there's a clause in all these contracts. You can always buy your way out of a game. So you can sign a home and home, then have that team come to your home and then say, we're going to buy out of the game. There's always, a, I, don't, I shouldn't say always, I haven't seen every contract. But there is usually a, a clause in the contract that says, for X amount of dollars, you can buy out of the return game. And St. Mary's bought out of the return game. So there's another game they could have played. They could have played at Grand Canyon, which is a top 115 Kempom team. You go, it's a 22, uh, it's a 22 win team. It's a team that uh, finished uh, third in the WAC. That would have been a game that helped you. That might not have put you over the edge, but it would have been a quality win. A road win over a top 115 Kempom team is a quality win. And not only like they were scheduled to play it or under contract to play it, and they bought out of the contract. Like I don't even understand the rationale for not wanting to play these games. You have an awesome team coming back. It was a top 25 team, and all the pieces were back. Like, why are you so scared to play somebody, particularly when you know that you should know that this is this is, this is the scenario you're setting yourself up for? And so uh, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd actually like to sit down with Randy sometime and just say, walk me through it. Tell me what I'm missing. Because you have a good, a very good basketball program that is consistently good. 
Part of that's because of the way you evaluate, develop. Part of it's because you're a great coach. Why do you not put yourself in a situation to earn at-large bids? And I had somebody tweet me, and I, I hope most people understand the difference between these two things. Clearly not everybody does because otherwise I would have never gotten this tweet. Somebody said, yeah, but you're saying St. Mary shouldn't have been in, but have you seen Syracuse's non-league schedule? I do not care about Syracuse's non-league schedule. Here's why. They play in the ACC. If you play in the ACC or the Big 12 or the, a or the SEC, or basically any Power 5 league plus the Big East and probably the American Athletic Conference, you are going to have opportunities to get wins to earn an at-large bid. It, your, your opportunities come January, February, early March. You get them in your league schedule. You get them in your league tournament. Syracuse could play nobody in the non-league, like nothing but buy games in the non-league, and then say, okay, now our ACC schedule starting, and we'll have now we're either going to be good enough to get in or not good enough to get in, but our opportunities will be there. When you play in the WCC, your opportunities are basically Gonzaga. So if you don't schedule opportunities outside of your league, and you only have Gonzaga opportunities inside your league, and oh, by the way, Gonzaga, even though you're good, they're usually better than you, what are you doing? You are setting yourself up for this day. I hope they learn from it because that's too good of a basketball program to be putting itself in this stupid situation. Yeah, I don't totally agree with everything you're saying there, but I don't want to get totally off the rails here with that. I do want to – let me pick – What part do you agree with? Um, I would have no issue if the selection committee kept Syracuse out for how poorly it's scheduled in the non-conference, regardless of the conference it's in, because I don't think you should be able to rely on the fact that you play in a major league to back your way into the tournament. I think that it should hold teams accountable to the same level of standard, regardless of the league that you're in. That's all. What the selection committee has, has said over and over again is we don't care. We don't look at your games in February any different than November, and we don't look at your league schedule any more than we look at your non-league schedule. We look at your entire body of work. So my point is this. Sure, I would love Syracuse to challenge itself. I like watching interesting basketball games. I think one of the biggest problems with college basketball, outside of the roster turnover every year, we don't know the stars are rarely back for a second year. Like we get DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley. Like over the past week, people have just fallen in love with DeAndre Ayton. And then like by you know this time next week, we might be completely done with DeAndre Ayton. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, that's a huge problem with college basketball. But this is another one. There's too many games with big-time programs playing absolute crap, just total mismatches. I know they do it in college football like once or twice, but in college basketball it's like eight or nine times. Like a, a, a third of a of, – of it might be more like a quarter, but it's a significant number of a, of a, of a high-major powers games are going to be against absolute crap. And so I wish Syracuse would schedule more aggressively in the non-league, if only because I'd like to watch a big brand like Syracuse play as many good games as possible. But my point is this, from the selection committee's perspective, all they care about is your entire body of work. Take your non-league games, your league games, throw them all in a pot, mix them up. We just want to see what you got accomplished by Selection Sunday. If you are Syracuse, you can always rely on the fact, and it's a fact, that if you're in the ACC, you're going to have quality opportunities. You're going to play Louisville. You're going to play Notre Dame. You're going to play Duke. You're going to play Carolina. You're going to play some of these teams twice. You will never sit on Selection Sunday and go, oh, wow, we just didn't get enough opportunities to prove ourselves. But if you play in the West Coast Conference, you are going to be sitting on the select, on Selection Sunday saying, oh, wow, we didn't have enough opportunities to, produce, uh, to, to prove ourselves unless you create the opportunities. Your league won't create them for you. The ACC creates them for Syracuse. The Big 12 creates them for TCU. That's why they can schedule the way they do. The WCC doesn't create them for St. Mary's, and you can bitch about it all you want to or scream that it's unfair, but it's not going to change anything. So you have to go out. And, and, and create your own opportunities. And the, literally the only way to do that is with the non-league portion of your schedule. That's why 
from my perspective, in terms of securing an at-large bid, you have to conduct your business differently as a good WCC school than you do as a good Big 12 school or big ACC school. Big uh, TCU Syracuse, they can schedule whatever they want in the non-league. Their opportunities are coming. In the WCC, if you're St. Mary's, your opportunities are not coming in the league. You've got Gonzaga opportunities, and that's basically it. So you better create your opportunities. And when they had a chance to do it, Rhode Island, Creighton, Nevada, and God knows who else, to pass on that is embarrassing. It's counterproductive, and it sets you up for this. And, yeah, Jock Landale, Jock Landale is not going to NCAA tournament right now, and it's probably because his staff didn't put him in a position to do it. Yeah. Let's take a scenic tour of the bracket here. I think a lot of people want to hear us talk about some of these matchups and our impressions of the overall bracket. Let me throw a few stats at you. ACC, you know, what's interesting, last year there was a lot of, a lot of steam about the ACC being maybe the best conference ever and all that stuff, and it was solid, but it has more teams in the field this year. It has nine in the field. SEC obviously has had a very solid season. SEC gets eight in. Big 12 gets seven in. The Big 12 rates empirically as the strongest league in college basketball. Oklahoma State, Baylor just get nudged out. They don't get in. The Pac-12, meanwhile, rough, rough year. First of all, you know, USC not getting in was shocking. Um, I, I, I just thought, I thought they'd be in, clearly. And if you look at some of the top of their schedule overall um, with some of the other teams, they have a case, but they're not in, so it goes. So the Pac-12 is uh, only got three teams in the field, and two of them are going to Dayton. You've got UCLA who I think is actually fairly dangerous. Um, I actually like their roster, and I, that's, that's a terrific matchup. They play Bonaventure. Um, they're in, and then Arizona State obviously gets in. I have to mention the coolest thing I saw on Selection Sunday was uh, and, uh, the local beat writer for, for the Rams. I, Bill, I hope I say your name correctly here, uh, Bill Koch. He took the video of, of Dan watching, the, watching TV, Waiting at the start because they released the obviously they released the at large teams in alphabetical order after they released the automatic bids. And Dan just he's like as fired up as if his team had just made the final four. And then he kind of gets emotional. It was such an awesome, awesome moment because obviously when Davidson got the at- Atlantic 10th automatic bid, there was just speculation. And I thought, I truly thought that that was going to bump ASU out of the field. Now, ASU gets in because they won at Kansas, beat Xavier, hello, two number one teams that went a long way despite their, their skid in the Pac-12. Just uh, before I continue, GP, I mean, I just wanted you to comment on that, that Hurley thing because that, uh, that was a cool thing, and it's, it's part of why, man, I love this day, the release of this bracket, and I don't know, there's just this real communal feel with, with college basketball from the fans to the coaches to the media that covers it. It's just an awesome event. There is nothing else that's like this in, in sports. Obviously, I'm watching Sunday afternoon. Uh, we're in studio getting ready for shows and A-10 championship games on. And, and Davidson beats Rhode Island. And your immediate thought, if, you, if, you, if your brain works this way, is that, oh, wow. Did, did Dan Hurley losing just knock Bob Hurley out of the NCAA tournament? Because that was at least a, a possibility given that, you know, Arizona State was, you know, in that group of bubble teams. Some people had a man. Uh, Jerry Palm actually had him out. I, I believe it's the one team that was out. I mean, that was in that Jerry had out. He got 67 of 68, and he had St. Mary's in instead of Arizona State. And Arizona State wasn't even his like first team out or second team out. I think it was fourth team out. And so <laughs> I just I know Bobby was very aware of where Palm had him, and it had Bobby let's just say fired up. <laughs> like he was <laughs> like I I told, I was joking around with Palm uh, earlier today. I was like. Because he said we were pre-gaming, uh, pre-selection showing, 
And Palm explained why I had Arizona stayed out. And I said, I cannot wait till Bobby Hurley gets a hold of you because Bobby Hurley might, might have really tried to get a hold of him. And so um, then, then, you know, you, you watch Rhode Island lose. And obviously that means the bubble shrinks. Whatever the last team in was, you know, prior to that game one final, teams, that team's not in anymore. We find out subsequently it's actually Notre Dame. But in that moment, it could have theoretically been Arizona State. So you're going, oh, Dan, did you just did you just knock your brother out of the NCAA tournament? And if I thought that, you know Dan thought that. And to see that moment, because I saw it as well, um, was really cool because – Listen, you know you're going to the tournament. That's secure. You're just trying to figure out what seed you are, who you're playing, where, where you're going. But you you don't know if your brother's going. And it's his big and, brother. And, like it's just it's it's awesome. Right. And and so you see that, and he's fired up. And I know Bobby was fired up. I think there was a, a clip of Bobby as well. And to have both those guys um, who are just like really good basketball coaches. You know, Dan has totally rebuilt Rhode Island, and 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 Bobby flipped Arizona State. I know. I know it, it went the wrong way on him. Uh, you know, in January, February, early March. But, you know, they did enough early. Um, you know, went over Xavier, went at Kansas, in Fog Allen to, to create a resume that was at large worthy and to see Dan, A, see his brother get in the tournament, but B, also understand, hey, I didn't knock my brother out of the tournament. You got it that there was a sense of joy mixed with relief. Just awesome. Just so great. And let's let's scoot around the bracket here. Let's just go one quadrant at a time. Just talk about the things that stand out to us. We're going to make picks more, I think, on our Tuesday podcast. It's more about the reaction stuff. But obviously, I might toss in a few predictions because I can't help myself. I had to I had to file a bracket earlier. I've forgotten half of it. I, I think I might have Gonzaga going farther than I want to, but whatever. Okay, so in regard to Arizona State, Syracuse, and, and Hurley, um, they'll match up against TCU. The winner of the Arizona State, Syracuse will get there. But in the Midwest, you've got Kansas as the one, Duke as the two. You've got Michigan as the three, uh, Auburn as the four, Clemson as the five. Kansas in this region, they're going to go to Wichita, obviously. Um, if they win, they would play the winner of Seton Hall versus NC State. Uh, I, I, I think Seton Hall will win that game. Um, it, it's intriguing because I feel like the 4-5 the that Kansas has here is the weakest 4-5 of any. Um, and I say that knowing how great Auburn has been versus expectation and Clemson was not supposed to. Like these, both of those teams are not supposed to be that good this season. Um, but but both have kind of been slipping over the past you know three to four weeks there. So I'm in, I'm intrigued if if Kansas gets pushed at all, and if it does, I almost think Seton Hall would be the only team that could do it because they've got Angel Delgado down low. Will Yudoka Azubuki come back strong enough? I don't know. We'll see. Um, at the bottom of the bracket, Duke is going to be potentially on, on pace to, to to match up with Michigan State, which would be the premier Sweet 16 um, matchup. Before you get to that, though. GP doesn't even know this. I'm going to Pittsburgh. They're sending me to Pittsburgh because we potentially have a head-to-head battle between the two most polarizing hated players in college basketball over the past three years. You could have Grayson Allen playing against Trey Young. Oklahoma's going to have to win a damn game. And, oh, by the way, Dan Hurley is also in this bracket. You've got a 7-10 matchup between URI and Oklahoma. Here's what I love. You, like, Thursday, we're not messing around. That's the first freaking game. It's going to be the Rams versus the Sooners in Pittsburgh. Give, give, hey, wake up on Thursday, NCAA's tournament start, give me Trey Young now. Love it. Could not agree more. Absolutely fantastic. I don't love the fact that I got to really scramble now and get out there to Pittsburgh, uh, but it's going to be awesome. And you'll either have Duke, Rhode Island. I think that's an intriguing matchup in the second round. Or you'll have 
Grayson versus Trey. Either way, that's a big win. And then a potentially Duke-Michigan State in the Sweet 16 if TCU doesn't get there. Uh, but we'll see. What are your thoughts on the Midwest? Okay. Um, I, I mean, it's sometimes two teams that – I guess we always have these conversations, and I tweeted this earlier. There's, like, teams where you go, yeah, I'm going to have them in the Final Four. And then they end up um, – and then they end up in the same regional, and you're like, ah, okay, well, they both can't go to the Final Four. That's what happened to me in the Midwest because I really like Michigan State and I really like Duke. Obviously, they can't both go to the Final Four. If they play in the Sweet 16, it'll be a, a rematch of the Champions Classic. I was there in Chicago. Duke beat Michigan State without Marvin Bagley. Um, he went out of that game, I think, about nine or ten minutes into it. They still were able to win without him. Grayson Allen went for like 37 or something. He had one of the, his better performances of the season. Uh, the main thing you said that I agree with, weakest four, weakest five, Auburn and Clemson. And I know BP is going to have T-shirts made by this time tomorrow if he hears <laughs> this. Um, but I, I just think Auburn's vulnerable without Macklemore. And obviously Clem, uh, Clemson lost Grantham. Yeah. So you – talk about a new mexico state team that's 28 and 5 and they get to play a clemson team that's not itself anymore and an auburn team that i don't think is itself anymore i actually have new mexico state going to the sweet 16 i've got you. new mexico state beating clemson i've got new mexico state beating auburn i do have new mexico state beating clemson as well i honestly don't remember if i took them over auburn or not but i definitely have them over clemson that is a good team christians in year one has done a good job there. Um, I'm with you, man. And I almost like I, sometimes I, I look at these things and I'm like, that's just too obvious. I know I'm going to be wrong, but I, I can't. I can't not pick New Mexico State in that spot. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, do you want to go through the bracket? No, no. I just want your. I want your overall thoughts. I mean, I, we. I figure like next podcast we can hit on some of them and. Yeah, I, mean, I, we'll, I still we'll got to. I got to work later tonight, so I just wanted to get some thoughts, just some, yeah, some impressions. We'll do, what we'll do here is some, just some thoughts on each region. We'll go through the whole bracket, like on the next podcast. Yeah. I will say this: I think Rhode Island's going to beat the crap out of Oklahoma. Like o Oklahoma deserved to be in the field based mm -hmm. on the way, um, based on the way that the selection committee selects teams. Because when we had Bruce Rasmussen in uh, studio with us earlier in the week. He 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 actually explained it in a, in a way that's easy for um, I, I hope fans to understand. He said, "Think of it as a as a race, like a trek, like a hundred yard dash. It doesn't matter if you start fast and I start slow. As long as I end up with a, as long as I get to the finish line mm -hmm. better than faster than you, and I have a better time, it doesn't matter how I do it." You know, he said in the NBA playoffs, we don't talk about how teams have been playing in the past two weeks as it relates to their seeding. We don't say, well, that team can't be a three seed because, man, for the past month, they've been terrible. Like, we, whatever the record says it is, that's what you are. And the record takes into account games played from game one to game 82. And he said, so I don't understand why this is such a big deal when it comes to college basketball. I'm paraphrasing here, but this is essentially what he said. Why is this such a big deal when it comes to college basketball when it's not something we consider in the NBA? It's not something we consider in Major League Baseball. We don't watch a Major League Baseball team like get a 15-game lead in the AL East, then blow it, almost all of it, and only win the AL East by one game. And we don't say, but God, they've been terrible for the past month. They've, they're 4-22 and 22 in their past 26 games, no way they deserve to win the AL East. 
and go to the playoffs. Well, no, they do. It's the entire body of work. And so in college basketball, it's the entire body of work. Think of it like a golf tournament. You know, if I shoot a 78 in my final round, but I shot 62, 63, 64 in my first three rounds, that still might be good enough to win the golf tournament, even if my last round was awful, because the first round counts just as much as the last round, and the middle rounds count just as much as either. Why isn't college basketball the same? It is. And why is it controversial? He didn't understand. So when you consider Oklahoma under those circumstances, then Oklahoma deserved to be in the field. Those wins they got early, they hold, they count. They count. The win at Wichita State counts just as much as if it happened Saturday afternoon. So I understand why Oklahoma's in the field. I got no issue with Oklahoma in the field. But they're not good. They're not good anymore. They could, if they played at Wichita State tomorrow, they get their brains beat in. And I think Rhode Island's going to handle them pretty easy. It would be something, though, GP, if Trey Young showed up, dropped 37 and 13, and they won by five. It would just create the biggest buzz for Duke uh, in, a, in a Saturday game that I would have to think would be the first game standalone national TV broadcast for Duke there overall. Um, all right, let's scoot up to the east here. That's Villanova as the one, Purdue as the two. You've got uh, Texas Tech, sneaky three, not getting any love. That's no surprise. It's just Texas Tech. People aren't going to give them, uh, take them too seriously. I would advise against that. Wichita State as a four, West Virginia as a five, and Florida as a six. I had to write the East region breakdown for the site. Guess what? I think any of those six teams can reasonably expect and like envision themselves making the Final Four. I don't think that's true of any other region. Florida has been shaky. But it has the capability to get to the Final Four. Obviously, West Virginia, how good it is. Wichita State's got the dudes. I know they haven't been as defensively as reliable as they have in the past. But I just I, I would not put it out of the realm of possibility. And by the way, oh, by the way, Wichita State jumps from the Valley to the American, wins 25 games, hello, four seed. That's exactly why you do that. And by the way, they earn the four seed. If they would have been a five, I wouldn't have had an issue with it either. Thought they would land on the four line. And so they did. Real quick, before you uh, hop in here, GP, um, there's a lot of individual talent in this region. Nova has Brunson and Macau Bridges. Alabama obviously has Colin Sexton. John Petty's a really solid player as well. Um, Murray State's got a couple of really good dudes. Like West Virginia's obviously got Javon Carter. Like He's, he's really good. But Murray State's got Jonathan Stark and John Morant, uh, freshman-senior combo in the backcourt. I think that's going to be a really, really good game. Marshall plays ridiculous. It's going to be Greg Marshall versus Marshall, as you pointed out on Twitter, which is awesome and hilarious. Marshall plays a ridiculous style. That game could just be idiocy, and I say that in glowing terms. I can't wait to watch it. Um, it's, it'll be very fascinating to see who wins between the Bonnies and the Bruins in their play-in game. Um, which is GP? Is that Tuesday or is that Wednesday? The Bonnies. The, the Bonnies are the thirteenth, so that's Tuesday. Okay. And by the way, that's terrible luck for them because Courtney Stockard is hurt. I know. And having to turn around and play on Tuesday as opposed to Thursday or Friday, I'm told with him it makes a real difference. Like he's going to try to go. I would a uh, I would assume, uh, but. You know, he'd be better on Thursday or Friday than he's going to be on Tuesday, and that's uh, that's just a tough yeah. break for that school. They need him. Just running down some more talent here. Chios has hit a buzzer beater. Bonaventure has Mobley and Adams in the backcourt. They're awesome. Keenan Evans is one of the six best players in the in the region, in my opinion, for Texas Tech. He's great. Arkansas has got a big who's going to be in the NBA draft if he wants to go and be a first-round pick. And Gafford, he's awesome. Butler, Keelan, Martin's really good. Purdue's best player is probably Carson Edwards. But they also got, like, Vincent Edwards is good. Isaac Haas has been improved. There's a lot of talent overall in this region. Villanova will obviously, as the one seed, as it is usually most years, will be uh, the pick to get out of here. 
I think this is a really fascinating region and could actually be the kind of bracket that breaks, but when it breaks, it'll actually still be compelling, which isn't always the case. Like, if you told me that we got a situation where West Virginia was playing Purdue or West or Wichita State was playing Florida, like, there would still be some com- some compelling matchups there. The East isn't overwhelmingly the best region, which happens more often than not because of the powers that are usually coming out of the East, but I think it is pretty good, pretty intriguing. What are your thoughts on that quadrant? I feel like it's the most predictable one. Like, Oh, so we're kind of disagreeing. Because I think like those six teams are really throwing in a pot, and he could get to the final four there. But you're saying more predictable, like one versus two Purdue predictable. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think it's Nova versus Purdue. I mean, I, I listen. It's a. It's a. <laughs> I think last year we were all getting ready for Nova versus Duke in the. You know. Uh, uh yeah. Was that was that? We, I would have seen that at the Garden, and it, yeah, it didn't happen. Yeah, good point. And it said it was Florida, South Carolina. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, who knows, right? That's the that's the hilarious thing about the bracket every year is that. We 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 get them, we look at them, and we start talking about who's got an easy path and who's got a, a, a difficult path. And oh my God, this team got screwed. And oh my God, this team got lucky. And then the team that's got the most difficult path, all it takes is one upset somewhere, and their path is totally different. And they end up having the easiest path in the hit, uh, path in the history of college basketball. So you never know. It is the beautiful thing about. Um, about this event i am not the college basketball writer i I think norlander might be is certainly closer to this than me um rostein is definitely this i'm not the guy who tries to tell you that college basketball is the best it's not it's not the best you know they're you know it's flawed in a whole lot of different ways it's engulfed in scandal for one um the player turnover from year to year makes it difficult for casual fans to even know who's who um there's too many buy games where high majors are playing bums and that's how we spend lots of of, of nights in November and December. It's not the best, but this event is like the best uh, because it never lets you down. You know, we have bad Super Bowls. We have bad World Series. Sometimes the NBA playoffs are boring. Certainly the NBA finals can be. The NCAA tournament's never boring because a story comes from somewhere. You know, it, it, it might be Steph Curry. It could be Florida Gulf Coast. Mason, you know, Wichita it State. Be, Mace, VCU, you don't know. It is impossible to know. Like, this is hilarious. You say you're going to Pittsburgh because Oklahoma and Duke is a possibility. Trey Young, Duke. Like, you you probably won't get that game. And yet you'll be in Pittsburgh, and, like, nobody will go to – I'm just – Wichita is a brutal draw. Shout out to our buddy Jeff Borzello. It's the worst. It's it's got the worst matchups. I said, I hope you get great games, bud, because Wichita, unfortunately, is not compelling in my opinion. Okay, and then it'll just somehow turn into the best. Exactly. One. I, yeah. A, a, a great story here, and I'm not going to turn this into story time. But uh, several years ago, I went to Philadelphia for round of 64, round of 32. Back when I used to actually go to the NCAA tournament instead of watch it from a studio in New York City. And so people would say, "Well, why are you going to Philadelphia?" And I said, "Because this is the truth. It was a Friday Sunday pod as opposed to Thursday Saturday." Um, there was a nighttime direct flight from my home in Memphis to Philadelphia. And what that meant was I could do radio on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, fly out Thursday night, be at um, the Philly pod on Friday and Sunday, then fly home on Monday. I would only miss one day of radio. If I went to a Thursday, Saturday pod, I would have to fly out on Wednesday, and then I would miss Thursday, Friday. So it really came down to, for no other reason, I was in Philadelphia then. No other reason than I would, it would, I would miss one less day of radio, 
and there was a direct flight to Philly, direct flight back and forth to Memphis. That was it. That's the only reason I picked Philly, and I ended up with Florida Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. It's the only reason why I did not. And that's the thing about the NCAA tournament. It is impossible to know where the story is going to be. It's not always where the great games are. Although you can sometimes like identify that a few years ago, I went to St. Louis. Why? Because we had a potential round of 32 game between undefeated Wichita State and Kentucky. And that ended up being a fabulous game. One of the most entertaining games I've ever been a part of um, or I've ever witnessed in person. You know, it comes down to the buzzer. I think Van Vliet had a shot at the buzzer. Um, Kentucky ends up winning that. Just an awesome, awesome matchup that actually lived up to the hype. But more often than not, you're going to be sitting in Pittsburgh and paying attention to something that's happening in Dallas or sitting in Nashville and paying attention to something that's happening in Detroit. That's the wild thing about this event. You never know where the story's coming from. You never know where it's going to be. You never know who it's going to involve. But that story's coming. That story is it, it's yep. going to be there at some point. It's probably there by no later than Friday afternoon. I, I just can't wait. I, this is an awesome weekend. The, 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 you know, the first four is just kind of like a fun inclusion. I do wish the bracket was 64. I think that's perfect. I love when we get, get, the, get it on Sunday, overthink your bracket by Monday afternoon, redo the whole damn thing by Tuesday afternoon, wait and wait and wait, and then Thursday morning comes, you just can't wait for noon, and it arrives probably never get back to it but regardless the stories will show let's scoot across to the top left of your bracket and go to the south uh the only pick that i'm going to spoil for the next one i'm picking virginia to go to the final four i have been swayed by seeing this team in person as i did at the acc tournament they are bigger in person than i actually thought they were they are they're long and strong lean and mean there's no doubt about it tony bennett right now is rolling this is a historic season for Virginia, and they have been the best team in college basketball. Now, they've got an interesting um, region in front of them, and they can be taken out. There's no doubt about it, but I will take them to come out of this region. It is intriguing all around. Now, the Kentucky-Arizona matchup in the second round is is just that, and Duke-Oklahoma would be the two headliners, essentially. Those would be the two games. By the way, those teams are in Boise, and Boise has a way of giving us some ridiculousness. I really, really hope we get some great stuff there. And I know they've got those new floors with all the color schemes, So I and I think one of them is orange, so I bet you they put the Boise floor to be orange. But I wish it was just the throwback. Like I think about Hampton. I think about Tyus Edney and that ridiculous <laughs> Boise State court. That's some of the stuff that I love about the old uh, NCAA tournaments and March Madness highlights. Um, I think that Kentucky is going to get a good test from Davidson. They are a hard team to prep for. You'd rather have them on four days than two days. That's for certain. Uh, very intrigued by that because Kentucky is putting it together now. SEC champions. They're looking better. But how about this? I didn't realize... I like. All this stuff comes out, writing, going on HQ, doing doing hits and all this stuff. Someone had tweeted at me like two and a half hours after the bracket was released. It didn't even dawn on me. Creighton plays Kansas State. That's the Marcus Foster FU game. He used to be at Kansas State. It did not end. I didn't catch that. Yeah, that did not end well. I'm, I'm spoiling one more pick. I'm all in on Creighton winning that game. Foster, like, trying to gun for 40. That could be real entertainment there um foster is creighton's best player they've got a nice two-man combo with him and Kyrie thomas uh virginia versus creighton would be an an interesting matchup overall loyola plays miami in the bottom half of the bracket you scoot down i don't think anybody's going to give buffalo much of a shot which is too much too bad because nato is a good coach and they've got a solid team but you'd go to the bottom half of the bracket miami plays loyola i did watch you gp tonight and i am with you on that but we'll Maybe save that for the next podcast, just in terms of how much we like Loyola and the strength overall. Um, Miami is missing their best player. That will be, 
I think in my top five games you've got to watch. I don't think a lot of people realize how good Loyola is and how good that game could potentially be. The rest of the bracket, Nevada-Texas is a weird 7-10 to me. Um, I don't really know what to make of it. Tennessee-Wright State, kind of a blah game. Um, but we'll see what Scott Nagy can do. He used to coach, of course, Nate Walters in the South Dakota State Jack Rabbits. He's now with the Raiders. Gets them to the tournament. Cincinnati is the two in this region. And it's going to try and dodge getting Ron Huntered by Georgia State, who is the 15 there. Um, if Virginia and Cincinnati were to meet as the one and two in the south in Atlanta, uh, the over-under on that game might be like 104. Like, it's crazy. Uh, I would have, we've talked about that on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. The morbid curiosity, we, we want to see it, and I do. Like, give me that game in the Elite Eight. I think it would be less than 104. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's they they both play slow. Incredible defense. They're the top two defensive teams in the country, and they will just they will grind you to dust. I I'm kind of rooting for just that ridiculous kind of game. That's the South. What are your thoughts on uh, on the teams in this region and potential storylines? Okay, well, since you said it, I'll go ahead and say it. I've got Virginia in the Final Four as well, and I do have them playing Cincinnati. And I I, I know that that's the game that would make everybody grow up. I, I would love it. I could, I would love to watch that game. I really think it'd be something like 45, 44. I mean, I, I, I you know, these teams win in the forties sometimes, um, certainly in the fifties pretty regularly. And so I would love to see them play each other. They're not, they're the two best defensive teams in the country, according to defensive efficiency ratings. And uh, they play both at an incredibly slow place. I believe Virginia is 351 in the country. That's yeah. 351 out of 351. And Cincinnati's like 322. So they both play at ridiculously slow paces. And uh, they're both just to – actually, I think they're diff- they are diff- different defensively. But you know, Virginia's just a rock-solid you know, team, like a rock-solid group of guys who play team defense as well as anybody can play it. And Cincinnati just seems a little more ferocious. Like they'll just take the ball from you. Yeah. Um, you know they 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 they're just a little more ferocious, and so I, I would kill to I like that that would be my favorite elite eight matchup perhaps, and I do have it projected to go that way, Virginia, uh, Cincinnati in the elite eight. You mentioned that that uh, Kentucky Arizona game in the round of thirty two would be fun, and I agree it would be. Um, I got Davidson beating Kentucky. Spoiling all your picks right now. I got Davidson beating Kentucky. I figure if you're going to take a twelve five, why not take a twelve five? Where the twelve is, by the way, only going to be about a three-point underdog. Like that—that's the Ken Palm spread on that game is three points. I think it's seventy-three seventy. So it's a one-possession game. And then you give me a Bob McKillop coached offensive team, and you make a bunch of freshmen try to guard it, because that's what you'd be doing. You'd be asking a bunch of freshmen mm-hmm. to try to guard a Bob McKillop coached offense. And uh, these freshmen are good. It's top twenty-five uh, defensive efficiency rating in the country. But to me, that's a scary first matchup for John Calipari's team because you're playing a great offensive coach. Peyton Aldridge is terrific. And then Kellen Grady, the freshman who we've talked about before, um, freshman at Davidson, A-10 freshman of the year. You know, he's a top 100 recruit and just decided to go to Davidson, which is kind of abnormal. But, like, that's what he wanted to do. And he's, you know, averaging like 17, 18 a game. He had a team-high 17 points, I think, in the A-10 tournament title game. He's a future NBA player. And so when you got Peyton Aldridge – Kellen Grady and Bob McKillop coaching that offense. That's scary. I like I picked Davidson and I don't think it'll be crazy if Davidson beats him. It's not. They have the best college player on the floor. He's not the best. Peyton Aldridge is the best college player in that game. So when yeah. you when you take that into account, McKillop's system, 
I'll, you know, I'd love to actually see how tough it will be for Cal and his staff to get Kentucky ready. And I think they'll be ready, but we've mentioned this on the podcast before when I, after I did the Hurley profile, you know, Dan told me that Davidson is the by far biggest headache in his league to prepare for because they play differently. The style they play, you don't really run into in Division One in terms of how they move the ball around, their shot selection, and just dudes never stop running on offense. They are constantly in motion. It will be intriguing. I wanted to ask you about Cal real quick. I almost feel like, and I was writing, so I didn't hear all the context of his comments, but I, I had him on the television and it, uh, on one of my TVs, and it was on, basically, the volume was very low, but I could see his face, and He's just every damn year he's got to go on these shows and talk about how Kentucky got hosed. We're always getting screwed. The committee doesn't care if we win the SEC tournament. I actually think he is self-aware with this and having fun with it. And I don't really – I guess I don't really mind that it happens, but it has become as reliable every Selection Sunday as the bracket itself coming out. Would you agree with that? What are your thoughts on Cal just kind of trying to – punch the committee in the ribs yet again for like the ninth straight year i agree that you can rely on it it's very reliable he's going to do it every year um i think he is both self-aware but then also believes a lot of what he's saying cal has a unique ability to like think the world is out to get him at all times and it's fascinating to watch because like he's on top of the world you know, he's making eight million dollars a year to coach kentucky he's a hall of famer he's got a national championship like he's got a beautiful family um, his son's playing for him. He's got two beautiful daughters. Like life is, I don't know if life's perfect. You know, I'm not inside his home every day, but like life's pretty damn good. You know, like he, he, he's got three amazing children. I hope you're um, not inside of his home every day. That would be weird. It would be weird. Um, there was a time where I was in his home often, but, but, but. Uh, you those, used those to cover him uh, when he was at Memphis, right? Yeah, I was this beat writer for four years. Like okay. I still think to this day, I've probably spent more one-on-one time with John Calipari than any media member in the world even if I don't do it often anymore. But it's only because he had open practices. I was the only beat writer, and I was in those practices every day for four years. I talked to him every day before practice, every day after practice. I was I traveled with the team. Like when they took charter planes, I was on the planes with them. Like I don't even think beat writers do that anymore. Like I literally traveled with the team, was in the same hotel as the team, um, was often at meals with the team. Sitting in airports with the team, like I was with them for four straight years every day. You covered Memphis and basketball. You you didn't know that. I did not. And uh, by the way, you asked me for Calip- about it, Calipari. Don't act like I brought this shit up. <laughs> so <laughs> so here's what I'm trying to tell you. Um, he has a unique ability to always think somebody's out to get him, and he is also always like devising a plan. He's always got something going on in his head. And by the way, I'm not even trying to be funny or like uh, or, or speak negatively about him. I, I, I think it's fascinating to watch. And it is also what makes him who he is. He wouldn't be John Calipari without this stuff. But what I what I found to be true a long time ago is that he's always. Scheming's not the right word because that's got such a negative thing attached to it. But he's always like got he's always working an angle. Looking for and a reason so, to have a ship on his shoulder to motiv- motivate himself for his team, basically. Right. But he's also just always working an angle with somebody or something about something. It's what makes him a great recruiter. It was, it's what makes him who he is. But the, he, he, because he does that nonstop, he thinks everybody else is doing that nonstop. 
So I won't bore you with the stories. We'll get to them another time, maybe. But like, he would come to me every once in a while with these just like these ideas. Like, here's what I think, and he would have this wild theory about something, and you would just be like, "That is the most far-fetched thing I've ever heard." But he 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 sincerely believed it, and the reason he didn't think it was far-fetched is because like it wouldn't be far-fetched from his perspective, but it would be far-fetched from any normal thinking person's perspective. I'll give you one. Uh, so we worked at the commercial pill. It was owned by Scripps Howard. The columnist of the commercial pill, who is still Jeff Calkins, and John never got along. They butted heads nonstop. And like it was it was a bad relationship. And so Calkins wrote a column one time that was critical of John. And John was convinced. John started doing research. And what he figured out was that Scripps Howard was headquartered in Cincinnati. And Cincinnati was a conference rival of Memphis. And he genuinely thought that either Bob Huggins or somebody at Cincinnati got in, had a buddy who worked at Scripps Howard headquarters in Cincinnati. And that buddy was leaning on Jeff Calkins to try to write bad things about John Calipari to help Cincinnati. And I heard that story and I was like, what? Like, we don't even deal with Scripps Howard headquarters. Like, what? It was so far-fetched. If you do anything about the way our industry worked, and yet to him it was like, aha, I figured this out. And he is constantly thinking like that. So it doesn't surprise me every year when he thinks the committee screwed him because he has a, 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 an incredible ability to think everybody is screwing him at all times, even if he's like on top of the world, if that makes sense. It's a, it's a fascinating thing to watch up close. It is, and uh, we'll see. <laughs> Listen, I, we're recording this in the aftermath of the bracket, and then by the time we do the next one, there'll be plenty of talking points, narratives, if you will, just about co- what coaches are saying, matchups, trendy picks, and all that stuff. So I, Cal in particular, what he says between now and then, he thinks, by the way, it takes six hours to fly from Lexington to Boise, which is ridiculous. <laughs> it takes six hours to fly from San Diego to New York. Like, what is he even talking about? Um, <laughs> no, he's the best exaggerator as well. Have I ever told you the Chris Massey story? No, but let's maybe save it for the next podcast. I'm not, not saving it. I'm going to give it to you right now. Okay. Don't forget who the host of the podcast is, by the oh, way. Oh, co-host. But, yeah, go ahead. Uh, um, yeah, well, that, not really. So um, one day he's sitting there, and Chris Massey's having an amazing senior year. And he says, what a lot of people don't realize is that Chris Massey is leading the country in field goal percentage. And if he keeps this field goal percentage up, He's going to break Bill Walton's regular season record for field goal percentage. And nobody even knows it. Nobody even talks about it. I mean, it's incredible. We have a guy here who's about to break Bill Walton's record for uh, regular season field goal percentage. And, like, who's talking about it? Nobody's talking about it. It gets no attention nationally. doesn't even get attention locally. So I'm the beat writer. So I'm like, well, geez, how did I miss this? It seemed like I was a little embarrassed. Like, I felt like he was calling me out. So I was like, how did I miss this? I need to go, like, maybe look this up and do something on this. So I, I leave the uh, Finch Center. I go to look it up. He had said like Chris Massey was shooting 16 or like 71% from the field. And he's going to break Bill Walton's regular season record, which is like 68% from the field. I'm making these numbers up, but you'll get the point. So I go, okay, I got to go look all this up. So I go look it up. First thing I find out is like whatever he said Chris Massey is shooting from the field was like eight percentage points off. Just wasn't the same percentage. He like said 73 and it was really like 65. Then I go, okay, well, let me see what that, how that ranks in regular season field goal percentage in history. Not even close to the record. And by the way, Bill Walton didn't even have the record. 
there like literally wasn't one part of the story that was true. He wasn't right about Chris Massey's field goal percentage, who was what, what that it would break the record, totally untrue. That Bill Walton held the record, totally untrue. And yet he had this story completely together in his head, just like he thinks from Lexington to Boise, it's six hours to get there. He's 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 an interesting guy Vintage. in that way. And it like again, I'm not even trying to be negative. I think it's hilarious, and I also think it is it helps him. It helps. It motivates him. The world's against me. I have to prove. It keeps him going. Honestly, I do think it keeps him going on some level. Down in the West region, the last one, Xavier's not getting a ton of love. I think as a traditional number one, it's the first time in school history they've been a one seed. Chris Mack's done a great job there. They're twenty-eight and five. Um, on the top half of that bracket, you've got Missouri with healthy Michael Porter Jr. They're going to play Florida State, and then you've got a, a trendy 12-over high pick in South Dakota State against Ohio State. Great year for Chris Holtman. They were not expected to get anywhere near the tournament. Lo and behold, they are a five and now um, on the wrong end of the most popular 12-over five pick, I would think. Uh, Gonzaga, great job, 30-4, and four, and um, every bit of four seed. Potentially, you could have made a case for them as a three, but I happen to think the three line is, uh, is fairly strong this year, so no issues with them on the, on the four line. Um, I think that Mark Few's got a, a really solid shot at breaking through the second weekend overall. Uh, the six eleven game is maybe one of the least compelling six eleven games I've seen in the past six or seven years. It's a good Houston team uh, against a San Diego State team that I'm honestly a little confused at over them landing on the eleven line. Um, they got there in part because they have a win, albeit a home one, over Gonzaga. And then you've got Michigan. Hot, but we haven't seen them in, in a hot minute here in, in basically a week plus. They will play Montana. A&M versus Providence, and then Carolina Lipscomb. That's the West, and they sent Carolina out West because they wanted to balance the one and twos all around there. Um, this was the one bracket when I was filling it out that I was frustrated in how I wound up picking it. There's one bracket like that undeniably, inevitably, every single year. That was this for me. The West are traditionally the weakest one because there aren't as many teams out West, so you never have the right teams to populate the bracket. So this is a mishmash, and um, usually that means it also winds up, by the way, being a lot of fun. What are your thoughts? This is the one region where every other region, there's at least two teams that I would have had on a list of, of possible Final Four teams. And I don't mean possible. I should rephrase. Of teams that I would like to – that I could – that I would like to put in the final four, like in the South Virginia and Arizona. I could like in, if they were in different places, different brackets, I could definitely see me easily penciling either one of them into the final four in the Midwest, Michigan state, Duke, or even Kansas, three teams there that I could easily see myself penciling into the final four, you know, in the East Nova Purdue, even I could get excited about Wichita and just the possibility of it easily penciling into a final four. In the West, none of these teams are teams that I would have penciled into the Final Four if they were in any other region. But because they're all here together, I had to get somebody there. But I don't love any of those teams. And I know Xavier's had an amazing season, but they've also been vulnerable here or there. And they seem like the type of team that could get caught, not by NC Central or Texas Southern. And I don't even really think by... I don't know. Like, would it be the craziest thing in the world if Florida State or Missouri caught them, specifically Florida State? Uh, no, there are many crazier things in the world than that. I think there are crazier things in the world than that. Like, North Korea would be one. I think North Korea would probably be one thing crazier than Florida State or Missouri beating X in the round of 32. I'll go ahead and march all the way through it. I've got Gonzaga going to back-to-back -back Final Fours. I've got Gonzaga um, beating X in the 
Sweet 16. And then I've got Michigan beating North Carolina, so I've got Michigan and Gonzaga. But I don't love, like, I, I, I guess this time yesterday, I would have never had Gonzaga going to the Final Four. But because of the bracket that got put right in front of me and I just start filling out teams, suddenly I got the Zags in the Final Four for the second consecutive season. I'd like to see if Missouri can at least win a game and give us two games of Michael Porter Jr., see what they can do against Xavier. We'll see. Remains to be seen what uh, what comes of that. But it is a, it is kind of a bizarre um, region overall. You'll have games in Charlotte, Wichita, Boise, and Nashville out of the West. And that that is the field. Um, we'll kind of get into a little more games uh Give you reminders on uh, on days and, and tip times and all that stuff on the next one, and we'll also have other general news here uh, in time for the next podcast. But listen, hope you hope you liked it. I mean, GP, that's pretty much all I got. It's past one in the morning. It's one o five a.m. I still have to write, but this was uh, this was definitely good stuff. We uh, we have our picks on the website, by the way. So if you care about our picks, which are destined to ruin your bracket you can feel free to give those a look and and, and go against them uh, i can't believe i think unfortunately we didn't consult with each other on our picks but judging by how you're talking here i think we got a lot of similar stuff and that clearly makes me uneasy and nervous so i might have to switch up some stuff there overall yeah. you've seen my expert pick you know you don't want to be on the same side as me if um if, if my bracket looks like your bracket uh, tear it up and, and, and start over. Like Norlanda said, we will get to more of our uh, you know national championship stuff and other things within the bracket on the next podcast. We'll also get into con- some coaching stuff. Um, the reports out there that Thad Mata um, is now in play at Georgia, which doesn't surprise me because I had heard over the past couple of days that he was out at Ole Miss. Like the Ole Miss thing just wasn't going to work like for whatever reason, obviously the reason is that he's involved at Georgia. And if you can take Georgia or Ole Miss, you clearly take Georgia. So we'll get into some coaching stuff, including um, I would assume by the time we record the next podcast, Tubby Smith is out at Memphis. Um, that might actually happen before some of you even even listen to this. So we'll get into all that stuff uh, on the next podcast. But before we get out of here, um, I want to let you know that Jamie Erd, our colleague, Jamie Erd on Reed Forgrave, uh, went out to Vegas for Selection Sunday and recorded a podcast uh, out there that's going to be in the Ion College Basketball feed um, at some point Monday. So you're going to see this one pop up, and then if you see another one pop up, by all means, go listen to it. It's a podcast from Las Vegas from Selection Sunday, sponsored by Old Navy, and Jamie and Reed are awesome, um, so I'm, I'm sure you enjoy it. Uh, but uh, then, So then that'll be the next one to pop up, and then we will be back on – Wednesday? We need to talk about this probably if you don't mind. I think can you manage Tuesday? I can manage Tuesday. It's better than Wednesday because I'm flying again on Wednesday. I fly home from New York on Monday morning and I'll be home in roughly thirty six hours. I'm flying back to New York on Wednesday. I just gotta go home and like uh really just see my kids and my wife. I don't even haven't seen my family in nine days. Yeah, no. <laughs> Please go see your family and your loved ones. Let's target Tuesday. Because I think I have to travel Wednesday to Pittsburgh anyway. So I think Tuesday is really our only option. So we'll get it to you at some point. Uh, we'll just have to line up the schedules. and uh, But, yeah, we'll get it done. We'll get it done then. So shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. He's the legend. And remember to subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast over at uh, uh, Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars and nice comments. And like I said, we're going to talk to you again on Tuesday. Enjoy filling out your bracket. Until Tuesday, take care.